it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to this episode of Kennedy Saves the World. And last I spoke with my mentor, Andy Schoen, who was the program director at KROQ, the alternative radio station in Los Angeles that launched my career. Andy launched my career. He was also the senior vice president of programming and had a much more impressive title uh, at our time at MTV. And he was the one who got me my job at MTV as well. And he didn't just wave a wand. I had to go through a process and do an audition to become a VJ. And then um, Andy shepherded that audition tape up the food chain until he got the sign off from Judy McGrath, who was the president of MTV at the time. And she kind of went, eh, why not? And because of, because of Andy, I have a career in broadcasting. So last time Andy and I spoke, um, it was just audio, but you can go back and revisit that episode of Kennedy Saves the World because we had a wonderful conversation about our time at K-Rock and what that meant to music and to alternative music and how so many of the songs and the artists that Andy and our late music director, Louis Largen, who was also the host of 120 Minutes for several years on MTV, he passed away this year. And Andy and I talked about his legacy and, you know, that that legacy in our journey continued to MTV because the three of us got on a plane and flew to New York um, September 10th, 1992, and we started a, a different phase of our lives that became an incredible era. And as one of my bosses here was listening to the podcast, he said it would be really fun to have Andy back to talk about MTV and the 90s and what we went through. And Andy, um, <laughs> first of all, what was what was the music like and how was it different at MTV when you got there versus, you know, we were... In, in the throes of grunge at K-Rock in the fall of 1992. You left K-Rock in May of 1992. You got to MTV. And in terms of music, what did you find? Well, MTV was, well, thanks for having me on again. Yeah. Kennedy, it's always great to, to be on with you. Uh, so MTV in 1992 was starting to play alternative music and you know, was playing Nirvana from Nevermind, Teen Spirit, and some of those things, and was playing some uh, hip hop uh, on Yo MTV Raps. And there were a couple of videos that would kind of leak into the regular rotation of MTV, but uh, there was still a lot of kind of the hair bands from the 80s, sort of the sediment at the bottom of the hairband tank was still kind of on MTV at that yeah. time. Um, and some great stuff too, but it, it, but but it wasn't it 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 felt kind of dated and not up with the times. So when you and I came in and Lewis came in and I headed up the music programming at MTV, we really pushed it hard. We really pushed it hard in two directions: um, alternative with Alternative Nation, which you hosted, which where the idea was to kind of make a different MTV after dark at midnight, and that two hour block was where we started all of that stuff. And it was a concentrated effort to play Alice in Chains, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, all yeah, of that in its nails. own home. Nine Inch Nails. All those things in their own home with the thought being that fewer people would watch that 
but those that watched would watch it longer and would absorb that stuff. And the things that rose to the top from that show would then go out into the regular rotation of MTV along with, you know, Whitney Houston and Guns N' Roses and everything else that we had to play as America's pop station. And we did the same thing with hip hop and alternative or hip hop and, and, and rap and R and B where there was a real hesitation and concern uh, about advertisers with rap music at the time. And so we rebranded it MTV Jams and hired Bill Bellamy, one of your VJ colleagues. Um, and we built a two hour block during the day of MTV Jams where we played, you know, uh, you know, the, the chron- all the stuff from the, the chronic, you know, Tupac, Puffy and all of that. And again, that stuff that rose to the top from that program would make it out to the regular rotation. That's really MTV. interesting. And that was, that was really smart. And I don't know if that was happening in um, urban radio at the time. But yes, you know, along with En Vogue and Brandy and Whitney Houston, you know, you for the first time were seeing things like Bone Thugs and Harmony and, um, you know, obviously Dr. Dre and Snoop. and, And that started to intermingle in a way that made it okay to explode it throughout the culture. And when people ask me about my time at MTV, that's one of the things that I remember, certainly at the MTV studio, uh, which was the most phenomenally interesting physical place I've ever worked. Because, you know, I would walk in and I would see Dave Perner and all of his dreadlocks from Soul Asylum kind of, you yep. know, walking down the hallway and Paul Westerberg from The Replacements. But then you you would see Rev Run from Run DMC and you would see TLC. Like I remember walking in and seeing TLC in the women's room practicing their choreography because they were going to perform on the grind. Yeah. And <laughs> you would see like I remember LL Cool J walking in and Marky Mark, who is now Mark Wahlberg, was obsessed with one of the uh, the stylists at MTV. This woman, Cindy Paragallo, who was sh- just this short, cute firecracker. Right. And every time he came by the studio, he would flirt with her. And she's like, Mark, I don't have time for this. Okay, put your shirt on. I don't care. And now, of course, he's <laughs> one of the biggest Hollywood box office stars. So funny. Yep. Yeah, that was going on in the studio, which was, um, and it, the interesting thing was you and I both came from radio station. MTV was kind of like a radio station with pictures, but it was different in that radio's live and, you know, you know, sort of has this sort of live urgent to listen thing happening. Um, and MTV didn't have that. So if Aerosmith was scheduled to be on at four o'clock on Thursday, they would be on at four o'clock on Thursday. Um, where in a live atmosphere, uh, they could be 10 minutes late because of traffic because they were actually showing up at Thursday. MTV was made on like Tuesdays and Thursdays, um, in a studio and it was all pre-made. And then it was sent out to an operations center where somebody played the VJ segments in between the videos so the, when we really took off, it was when we went out to the MTV Beach House in the summer of 93. And then when we built the Times Square studio, ultimately for Carson Daly and TRL and all of that, that MTV in the 90s really became its most influential, most musically credible with hip hop and alternative music and a place, a soapbox for artists to be able to come on every day and talk about everything. If Diddy had a a new men's cologne. He could come on and talk about it. Madonna would premiere a video. Um, and there was all that live excitement that really we brought from radio, but it took a couple of years for us to get there. I have a couple questions. I have one, one is a yeah. comment 
And uh, the other is a question. And there, there are three things that I want to get to. One, uh, when you said Cologne, that reminded me because on Alternative Nation, Jean-Paul Gaultier, the, the world-renowned designer, yeah. wanted to come by my show and promote his brand new Cologne because that Cologne came out. Uh, it must have been 1993 or 90. It was 1994. So the uh-huh. cologne came out in 1994. It was it was like Madonna's body. It's it's the glass yeah. silhouette of a woman's body and like a bustier. Yeah. I'm um, wearing it right now. Yes, you are. Of course you are. So Gautier was going to come by. So I thought it would be funny to make fun of him and wear a bunch of his super fancy clothes. I strapped two bagels to my head like Princess Leia because we had bagels there at the craft service table and put on a bunch of Jean-Paul Gaultier stuff that didn't match. And I rolled around on the hood of a taxi cab and played it for him thinking that I was making fun of him. And he sat there and went, oh, Clément. And he loved it so much. And he was like, you must come be in my fashion show. And I was oh my like, God. you're sh- me and he was like no 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 <laughs> Lionel Lionel and one of the people he worked with Lionel came over and he was like give me your sizes and I gave him my sizes and he was like oh my god that's so disgusting because he thought I was so, so enormous compared that's to the so other funny. models and I thought it was a joke because people promise you all sorts of things and they see you in person yeah. and then a couple weeks later a plane ticket to Paris showed up and a hotel reservation and I went to Paris and his Spring 95 collection was at a carousel museum in Paris, and the carousel museum was so small and could accommodate so few people that Mm -hmm. we actually had, instead of one fashion show, we had three different shows. And Tom Freston was there, and so one of the, Tom Freston was the CEO of MTV Networks. He's my boss's boss's boss. Right. He's the head of the whole thing. So he's there in Paris at Fashion Week. He's going to go to the Jean-Paul Gaultier fashion show. He's in the front row. So Jean-Paul Gaultier thought it would be great to have these see-through black mesh tunics. And on all the models, they were not wearing any undergarments at all. They had, I, I'm, and I'm not lying, I will never forget the, the hairstylist Orlando Pita saying, I've never had to put glitter on a woman's bush. This is a first for me. So that's all the models were wearing was like bright glitter on their pubes. Yeah. And so I went up to Lionel and I was like, bro, this is my boss. I have signed a morality clause in my contract. I need this job. I can't get fired. I cannot have a glittery bush in front of Tom <laughs> Freston, please. And so the, the next best thing they could do, they gave me a thong bathing suit that went so far up my ass and I had to walk <laughs> this runway in front of my boss's face that was literally four inches from my naked ass. But oh I was God. like 21 at the time. So let's be honest. It looked pretty great. Oh, my God. That's funny. But yeah, well, that was one of those things. That was another... one of those connections where someone right. from the fashion world wants to be a part of this culture, this moment. And then we capped he he loved the absurd video and i got to be in a jean-paul gaultier fashion show with isabella rossellini and madonna incredible well that was the in the 90s at mtv there will never be i mean you know we can this is even for another time we could get together but just the power and influence of a singular hub of culture the way we moved culture um 
the, it, it opens so many doors, I know, for us personally. I mean, for me personally, I mean, took me to the White House, to Bono's house. I mean, every day there were interesting people, um, you know, coming down the hall every day at MTV. It was an incredible time. You went to Neverland with John Norris was, and interviewed I, Michael Jackson. That's when, right. You know, I rode on a, I, I rode on his, uh, his train. I always tell people I love that he had this one of those Viking ships, like from the pier, you know, that has the swings back and forth. Mm-hmm. And and uh, he could not remember my name. He kept forgetting my name, so he called me Mr. <laughs> Vice President. He's like, Mr. <laughs> Vice President, will you ride my ride with me? And I said, Sure, Michael. And so, and it's just us, and I'm on the back seat because he said that's where it's most exciting. Is if oh, when it swings God. back and forth, you're in the back. He was in that outfit, you know, with the red sort of band leader top and he had the hat on and he was holding his hat on and every time it would swing back up high, he'd go, hee hee, kind of like on one of his songs. He would be like, hee hee, hee hee, hee hee, like this, you know? That's it was great. Yeah, one of the many, mo- many, of the many moments, yeah. Yeah, no, they never For let sure. me near Michael Jackson. The only time I met him was at a Grammy after party and he was there with Brooke Shields, his beard, and uh, he came up to me because I was really nervous to go meet him because I knew I would say something inappropriate and inevitably yeah. John Kennelly would get a call and I'd be in big trouble. And he came Well, up there to me was like, a time, you know, when, when, you know, we got to, we had the opportunity to meet just about everyone from world leaders to the biggest stars in the world. But then there was Michael Jackson at the time in the 90s was on a whole other level. So I remember, and I'd met just about everybody and spent time um, and regularly interacted with the biggest stars, right? But we went to Sony headquarters to have a meeting with him about the Video Music Awards, the VMAs, and to talk about him performing and opening up the show. And I remember him walking into the conference room at Sony and there was a spread of food there like we would have at these fancy meetings. And there was pizza and a bunch of other stuff. And he went up and took a slice of pizza. And I remember thinking to myself, he eats our food. We eat the same food as Michael Jackson. You know, like he was so removed from the real world that I, w- I, I, I was shocked that he ate regular food. Yeah, because there wasn't social media. Like you didn't right. put every aspect of your life right. on social media. So so much of these people's lives was a total mystery. Um That's and right. was that the 1994 Video Music Awards where I almost got fired where yeah. he and Lisa Marie opened the show That's and right. kissed and said they said our love wouldn't last and they had the most Awkward, yeah. chemistry-free kiss yeah. anyone had ever seen. You know, Paul Rubens just passed away, uh, Pee Wee Herman. But after there was, and I, so I was the executive producer of that show for a number of years. And uh, in one of the years before I came to MTV, I think it was the 91 VMA, uh, Pee Wee came out after his c- controversy um, in the adult theater in the Peep show or whatever, um, and said, heard me good jokes lately. And after that, every year, Tom Freston would say, what's our peewee moment, you know, and we had to really struggle to try to figure out. That's all anyone talked about. And I remember you were still. What's the big, oh, wow moment, you know. Don't go anywhere. More Kennedy saves the world right after this. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. You were still at K-Rock, and um, as an intern, that was before you hired me to be on air in 1991. That was September of 1991. And some of the interns got the leftover 
tickets that that winners didn't pick up. So we got to go to the after party at Universal, and that's all anyone was talking about. And then yeah. the next year, you started in May, and yeah. and then they had the VMAs at UCLA. And right. that was that was the first one that I attended. I, I hadn't been on air yet. I had been hired, and I met a bunch of people, but they had no idea who I was. But that was where, right. like, Kurt Cobain and Axl Rose got in a fist fight backstage and... That was the Howard Stern uh, Fartman episode there. Uh, that was an insanely huge show with U2, Nirvana, I think Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. Pearl Jam um, was there, Eddie, uh, and Guns Kurt and were Roses. dancing backstage. I mean, it was a gigantic show. Uh, at, it was like a giant festival with the biggest, it was one of the biggest ones ever, I think. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah. I mean, it was Poly Pavilion, which was you know probably yeah. bigger than... I, I'm, I'm guessing it's bigger than Universal, but it, it's a huge, yeah. like, college basketball yeah. arena. It's massive. And uh, I remember going to that, and I was so overwhelmed about what was to become of my life in just a couple days after that. And, and that was also— And you were pretty tired that day, I if you I was going to say, that why. was the day after <laughs> my 20th birthday where— this story, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast, but this yeah. is like just one of the wild things that Andy and I have been through. And we'll get to the Dennis Rodman story. Don't worry. Okay. So right. I have to set this up because you have a slightly different version of events on the night that, that led us to each other. Right. So Andy had already, I, I had already gotten the call. I was to be hired at MTV as an MTV VJ. I was leaving for New York in a couple days. It was my 20th birthday. And the next day was the VMA. So Andy was like, Come to the Sofitel, Mamaison, in Beverly Hills. Bunch we of MTV people are staying. Stayed. There were probably yep, like, 100 MTV You can meet executives, you can there. meet producers, yeah. you can meet people who are going to produce your day parts. It'll be great. So I went, met a bunch of people, and then Kiefer Sutherland had had dinner with Andy and Jude Cole, a singer-songwriter right. from Chicago that, that Kiefer right. was using his connections to introduce to all the executives and, and try and get Jude's music played. So... You know, right. we're standing. I'd, I'd met Dennis Leary, and I was totally blown away by that. And then, you know, we're sitting talking to Kiefer Sutherland. And- well, you know, what's funny is we were at dinner together with Jude. Um, three of us had dinner, and I'm waiting for my car afterwards at the Ivy. And Kiefer, who I just met that night, said, "Andy, what are you doing now?" And I was like, "I'm going back to the MTV hotel to the bar and hang out with people I just started working with." He said, "Okay, I'll go." <laughs> <laughs> completely not expecting him to join me. You, so Kiefer. I walk in, you know, to the bar and I'd only worked at MTV about two months. And all the people from New York were like, Oh, Andy is so Hollywood. He's showing up with Kiefer Sutherland, you know, and okay, I, but I, have yeah. to, I have to stop you there because so, as you know, me, was a, that was not this me. This was a That's very not, you know. different time in terms of fame, right? Because everyone right. who was, who was famous and emergent at that time hated their fame. Nirvana right hated their right. fame and if you embraced fame there was something wrong with you so yeah. it was not the era of the kardashians where people worried about their brand there was no photoshopping so right. if you were famous for being famous that was like you were like a bed bug that was that right. was the absolute worst thing you could be so andy walking in with a famous person being from la yeah. and you know you've got snobby new yorkers and like new york is the movie and la is the book uh, that was their mentality. Exactly. And, and, you know, here yeah. you walk in. So I think it's great because this is like Lost Boys Kiefer Sutherland. And so I tell him it's my 20th birthday. And Kiefer's like, we should go to Vegas. 
and you like Vegas. I like Vegas. Right. So we're all like, yeah, Kiefer, let's go. And I remember someone bringing Kiefer Sutherland the yellow pages. Yeah, an actual he, phone book. He yeah. went through the phone book and must have found private jets. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you had rented a white Mercedes and all of a sudden you and Desiree and Greg Drebin and Kiefer Sutherland yep. and I are on yep. the back of your Mercedes and we're yep. just flying toward the Van Nuys airport. That's right. Where there's a Learjet waiting. And yep. Kiefer Sutherland does one of those Jean-Paul Gaultier moments. He makes good on his promise. And we get into a private jet, which I had never even fathomed, let alone right. been in. Right. And we flew to Las Vegas. And it, what, what was it? Midnight? It had to have been about midnight. We got there and a limousine meet, you know, met the plane on the tarmac, took us to Caesar's Palace. And next thing you know, we are all at a blackjack table wearing those medallions. Gold, from they Caesar's, gave us each a gold so thing. They, they with have medallion. a red carpet at the airport when you land yeah. at McCarran. And then they had a Caesar's Palace limo waiting for us. Right. And so, you know, and they give us each one of these gold Caesar's Palace medallions. And so, we just yeah. we walk in like a pack of rock stars, like something out of Entourage, and yeah. they drive us from the jetway all the way to right to Caesar's Palace. We go right inside. We go to a blackjack table. Kiefer Sutherland, because it's my 20th birthday, and he probably knows that I don't even make a basic cable salary at this point. I'm just working for K-Rock gig money. I'm hoping right. that Jed the Fish had pulled yeah. out a Moose McGillicuddy so I could get his $200 for the night. You're like, making literally hundreds of dollars a month. Yes. 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 So he gives me $500 to gamble with. And, you know, it, it It might as well have been the heart of the ocean. Like, that's how valuable that was to me. And but you I, did the craziest thing, which you, which he'd lost actually a fair amount that night. And towards the end of the night, you held on to your $500 because it was a lot of money. It was like a million dollars to you. And you held on to it. And then you did the unthinkable, which was? I put it all on one hand to blackjack. <laughs> <laughs> and you and won. I hit blackjack. <laughs> and you won. That's right. It dreams do come true. That yeah. was wild. Yep. And yeah. then he I remember him I remember being elated. And I remember him being completely dejected. Like he must have lost yeah. a lot of money. And it's like yeah. I I couldn't I wasn't even paying attention. I couldn't conceive of what he lost. I just knew I was holding more money than I had ever had in my yeah. life. And we yeah. we went we, we got on the plane. We went back. I swear it was daylight when we landed. And I tried to give the money back to Keith Sutherland. And he was like, no, no. We're lucky me. we didn't get, if I'm thinking about it in real time now, we're lucky we didn't get fired. I'd worked there for like under eight weeks. This, you hadn't even started yet. And this was by far the biggest event of the year for MTV. And globally, 300 million homes, a giant event. And we went to Vegas all night and pulled back into the parking lot of that hotel at like nine in the morning with like our hair sticking straight up and Kiefer was still with us. So people the night before were like, you're still with Kiefer? It's like, yeah, you know, I don't, you know, we didn't tell them we went to Las Vegas, you know, but we secretly had gone to Las Vegas, you know, on a work night of the biggest event of the year um, and somehow kept it together. But that's youth. And gambled with Kiefer Sutherland. Yep. And won. And then the yeah. next year um, was the MTV Movie Awards. And so we all went out for that. So the MTV Awards, Movie Awards, uh, debuted in 1992. And yep. I think you had just gotten there. Yeah. And, and I had met with Lisa Berger about potentially 
being a correspondent on the, you know, the MTV, the big picture, you know, hosted by Chris Connolly and, and maybe being a correspondent on that. So I was like kind of on her radar. But then the next year, um, I was a VJ. It was the inaugural year of the Beach House, 1993, which is a crazy story how that came into existence. Yeah. And, you know, you had you had pitched them, why don't we have a big thing of sand on the roof of National Video Center? <laughs> but we go, and it, it's another star-studded event. Yeah. And I like the athletes, and Detroit Piston Dennis Rodman was there. And this was like, he was still, this was like pre-Madonna sexy Dennis yeah. Rodman. And, and somehow... He recognized me, and he liked me, and I liked him, and we were holding hands, and we were kissing, and I was having, like, I was trying to teleport back to high school to tell, like, 16-year-old me that 20-year-old me was going to be making out with Dennis Rodman at the MTV Movie Awards, like, before Madonna got to him, and you and Greg Drebin, who was on that Vegas trip, you guys played the most solid game of defense that I've ever seen in terms of me and my hymen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no way. That's when I transitioned. I'd been your boss at now two companies. Uh, you'd been an intern, then an employee, and now you've been on radio and TV working with me. And then I transitioned to kind of big brother. I'm like, that's not happening. That's not happening. No Rodman baby here. You know, <laughs> no, you've got to, you're you've like, got and, and, but you said like, I could see his limo right yeah. there. And he's like holding yeah. my hand and, and he's like, no, no, just come with me. We'll have a great time. I'm like, I love a great time. I'm yeah. all for this. I'm fine Great with this. Time sounds good. Yeah, and you were like, I cannot in good conscience uh, call yeah. your mother and, and tell her that you that something horrible has happened to you in Dennis Rodman's limo. And and I was like, no, 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 it's cool. It's fine. She'll totally be fine with it. She's Romanian. She loves this stuff. And then you said the thing that actually stopped me from getting in Dennis Rodman's limo, which was, Kennedy, if you get in that car, you will be fired. Okay, well. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> I was like, you I don't want to get fired. Dennis Rodman isn't going to support me. A possibly romantic relationship with Dennis Rodman or a career that takes us all the way to August 29th, 2023, yeah. so which what, was the right decision. What do you choose? Right. So I, I chose yeah. Andy. But it's funny because I've seen Dennis Rodman throughout the years, and he always gives me like a, hey, what's up? It's like, remember? Almost. It's funny. He still calls me Mr. Biggs. He's like, what's up, Biggs? <laughs> <laughs> I see him around town. I'm Biggs because we did it. We did the very first celebrity reality TV show was with Dennis Rodman. Most people don't realize that before the Osbournes and the newlyweds and all the others that have come along, the Kardashians, there was the Rodman World Tour on MTV in the summer of 97, where we followed him around in the off season for 10 episodes and captured that and made the first, uh, with Patrick Burns and Lisa Berger involved, the first celebrity reality show. And it was great in the ratings and it was just a journey into darkness to spend time with him all summer. But I mean, it was, that was a wild time because he was, he was now part of the Chicago Bulls multi-championship winning organization. Uh, He was a a massive globally known name. He was like one of those few celebrities that was instantly recognizable, a total brand. People were kind of scared of him, but totally intrigued by him. There were elements of his life that were very mysterious and uh, he really put it out there. So 
there was a time you went to Vegas, and what happened when you went to retrieve Dennis Rodman in Vegas? <laughs> yeah, I had to go out there to to get him out. Like uh, I was being sent. Uh, it was like Apocalypse Now. I was being sent to get Colonel Kurtz. Right. I was uh, I was going to Vegas to get him out, and boy, that was uh, not a lot of it. I don't think I would talk about on a podcast. I'm not sure, but uh, can you can you reveal what happened? Um. Well, well how, about, you thinking- how about the phone call you got when you finally made it to Dennis's room? Who was on the other? Oh, yeah. Well, I was out in a cabana at the Mirage Hotel um, with Dennis. And uh, and he, <laughs> he, he left to go uh, back to his room for a, a little while. And I'm sitting in the cabana and uh, the phone rings. Back we had regular landlines back then. The phone rings and it was um, Phil Jackson. Uh, and he called and I, he's like, it's coach or something like that. He's like, is Dennis there? I said, no, he's, he's not here right now. Can I take a message? He said, can you tell him coach Jackson called? And I said, sure. Um, great. And I hang up and about five minutes later, uh, Dennis comes back and the phone rings again. I pick it up and it's Michael Jordan and Michael's like, Hey, it's Michael. Is uh, Dennis there? I said, yeah, just a second. And I hand the phone to, to Dennis and they start having like sort of a light argument because what I gathered from it was, is, and I knew Dennis was renegotiating with the bulls at that time and over his salary. And Michael really wanted him to play another season. And Michael was offering him on that call. I think, you know, this is what I gathered um, a million or more of his own salary to basically gross him up a little bit. Wow. And he was saying, saying, no, 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 I don't want your money. They need to pay me. They need to pay me. And that's what was going on. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty wild. That's So do you know what happened? Like, did he end up taking Well, he ended up, all I know is he did play that season. Yeah. Um, I know he spent all the money we paid him, I think, at the craps table, you know. That was also the only time I've ever, uh, I've ever, uh, offered someone as part of their compensation a Bentley also because uh, <laughs> I, I had Eva, my assistant, buy a Bentley. I remember having the paperwork faxed to me and I, and I had to deliver it to him in Los Angeles. I remember that. That was good times. God, he showed why up at I, his why door. Why didn't I ask for a Bentley? Way. I asked for a Mason Pearson hairbrush. That was, I, that was my big strawberry. You know, I haven't spent a lot of time with sports uh, figures and I'm not a huge sports fan. So I was, I don't know how it really goes all the time. But when I went out and drove out to Orange County to visit him, to pitch him the idea of doing a show with us, he answered this. It was like 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. I flew in from New York. He answered the door at his house completely naked. I mean, nothing on. Was it terrifying? Uh, I mean, was it like, ah! Because it's like... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty funny. And then we got in a car. He drove a hundred miles an hour in like a yellow Porsche that he had. He made me go with him to uh, Long Beach to sign a bunch of basketballs at some conference. And he was sitting at one of those autograph sessions mm-hmm. and uh, Steve Garvey was sitting next to him at a table and there was nobody at his table. Oh. And there was a long line for people to get Dennis Rodman basketballs. And he was heckling Steve Garvey. He's like, where's your line, bro? Where's your line? <laughs> Did you ever fear you were going to die in Dennis Rodman's car? And would that have no, made two I, of us? No, it was, I didn't feel so, I, I wondered when he and I chartered a jet from New York to Atlantic City one night, mm. uh, and we spent the weekend in Atlantic City. He liked casinos, more than me even. Wow. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was a, another another crazy time. So 
I guess that's the whole Andy with Dennis podcast. We could do our, our own uh, our own side podcast on uh, that. We could we could do a because there podcast. are more stories. Yeah, Ugh. but they were all and I loved him and he he was amazing and he did. He is the he's the godfather of celebrity reality. I'm not even sure that, that he realizes it. No, and and you know at some point when we when we talk again, I want to talk more about how MTV diverged from music and got into reality because yeah. under your stewardship it was a responsible combination but yeah. then mtv lost its way that will be another podcast for another day and i also want to get into how the talent and artist relations committee came up with the videos that were played yeah. when sure. that was the make or break decision for so many people's careers and whether you know, some of the legacy artists, whether that career would be extended and, and how those decisions were made. So will you please come back so we can discuss those things? Sure. See? Always He's, a lot of fun. Andy friggin' Schoen is who he is. <laughs> uh, Schoener, thank Always you so much for coming back. I really appreciate it. It was great to see you. Always great always. to see you. We now have uh, each of us, two children in college, and it is utterly surreal but uh, this whole thing yeah. is very cyclical, and it's starting over with our spawn. Yeah, Andy, true. thank you for being here. This has been Kennedy Saves the World. I'm Kennedy. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network. Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think. Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.